0: Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Marius Cherry. And before we get into this week's interview, I just want to let you know about three fantastic sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. MailChimp is the premier email service provider choice for entrepreneurs and small businesses around the world. You can join more than 7 million people who use MailChimp to design and send 500 million emails every day. If you need some help getting your email marketing efforts started, I think we all could probably use a little refresher every now and then. Uh, MailChimp has a free course on Skillshare that's titled Getting Started with Email Marketing. Kind of helps you learn the basics. It's really good. I actually uh, checked it out last week. Go to Skillshare, search for MailChimp to enroll in the course. And when you're done, sign up for a free MailChimp account at MailChimp.com. Need a new domain for your next project? Check out Hover. Each domain comes with free private domain registration, unlimited domain forwarding, and world-class customer support. I actually just grabbed a domain for a new project um, last week, so I'm really excited about that. Grab yourself a domain today and use the promo code GRADUATION and save 10% off your first purchase. Creative Market sells graphics, fonts, themes, photos, and a whole lot more starting at only $2. They give away a selection of free goods every Monday, today's Monday, and they've got great bundle promotions every month. Head on over to creativemarket.com and jump on it. Thanks to BMAR for leaving this amazing review for the show on iTunes. I got to read it to you. Hold on. The review is called Phenomenal Resource. And he says, As a black graphic designer, I was just thinking to myself how few of us there are and how we need something to connect us all so that we at least know of one another. I then had the good fortune of stumbling upon this podcast, which is by far and large tackling this very large but equally important task with style and class. I'm four episodes in today alone, and I won't be listening to anything else until I'm caught up on all 75. Wow. Much respect on doing what you are doing. Thank you, BMAR, again, so much for that review. Really means a lot. That really touched me. Thank you so much. So let's get to this week's interview. Don't want to keep BMAR waiting. I talked with Sterling Smith. Uh, Sterling is the CEO of Keystoke in Austin, Texas. Now, there is a bit of an echo on Sterling's end, so try to ignore that. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do.
1: I'm Sterling Smith, and I'm the founder of and CEO at Keystoke.
0: Tell me about Keystoke. What's Keystoke about?
1: Okay, so for the past year, Keystoke has really focused on developing solutions, specifically mobile applications for other businesses. We launched last year during South by Southwest, so 2014, and hit the ground running working on some pretty interesting products from early stage funded startups to enterprise companies, Fortune 100 companies. So that's kind of what we focused on the first the first year. Most recently, we've been putting a lot of our energy toward developing a product that expedites the development of mobile applications for businesses and really automates the process. And I'm sure we'll probably get into that more later, but we're really excited about it. The product we're developing sits fairly within our core Values, which is essentially to bring the ability to create mobile applications to a wider audience. So taking it from those people who can only afford to develop mobile solutions after they've received a round of funding to bringing it to people who are at the idea stage and have bootstrapped their initiative to a certain point and Allowing them to use our platform, which is the product we're focusing on, to build out that application themselves.
0: So I'm thinking there are other, I guess they're sort of similar services to what you're describing. Like I'm thinking of a, like Accelerator, Titanium, or Censure or something, but this is not a, a framework that you're talking about. This is like a, a totally different tool or something, is that right?
1: So in essence, a platform as a service is a cloud based computer, computer model that delivers applications over the internet. In our case, we're developing a solution that's not a framework, but it's more of a a platform that allows for business owners to visit our site, go through a wizard, and then you know, leave with a product that's based on our cloud-based offering. That's essentially what it is. I hope that makes sense.
0: I would imagine that you have a I guess a pretty big market to do this in with Austin, because Austin is really in the past few years kind of blown up as it relates to not just mobile stuff, but tech and design and and all of that. Like it's really starting to become a major player.
1: Right, yeah, so one of the main reasons that I moved to Austin from D.C. was because I felt as though Austin provided unique opportunities for startups in general. A cheap labor force, kids who are coming out of a fine university like the University of Texas, many of them very technical. You also have a, a, a very, well, you know, a burgeoning startup community. You've got companies like Zynga, Dell, and Sparefoot who are based here, and you've got a ton of investors that, that uh, are, are very interested in participating in, in the growth of innovative companies like ours.
0: Now with all of that innovation kind of present there what kind of energy does that bring I guess to Keystoke? Like does that keep you guys pretty busy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean,
1: most of these companies, they're, they're, in Austin there are several incubators, namely Capital Factory. That's the first one that kind of comes to mind. Capital Factory has, well it's located right in the heart of downtown Austin, uh, less than half a mile from where we office. And in that, in that uh, built in their office space, and in addition to people who work remotely, I believe there are somewhere between two and three hundred companies that office and use capital factories as, a, as an incubator or as a co-working location. And many of those companies need services that we offer. They need responsive web design, they need mobile application development, they need outsourced CEO or CTO services, management consulting services and just general uh, technical consulting services. And so over the last year, you know, we were able to, to close out our first year as a profitable company, large in part based on this ecosystem that exists in Austin that allows for us to partner with companies, like companies that, that are growing in incubators like Capital Factory.
0: When did you first get the idea to start Keystock? You said that you moved to to Austin from D.C., is that right?
1: Right. I mean, so somewhere along the line, I believe that it was, (laughs) what's funny is I think that it was around the time that I saw my bill rate. At one point or another, I was participating in a proposal writing effort while working for a management consulting firm on the East Coast, and I think that they were billing our, our client three or four times what I was making in my, with my annual salary. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't all about the money, but I felt as though there obviously was, were opportunities for a person like me who uh, was a strong communicator and a strong developer to, at some point or another, start my own company. The other side of that, there's a, there are two sides to that coin. The other, the other side of that coin is I've noticed that, there were, that there's a broken model, in my opinion, uh, when it comes to developing mobile applications that typically requires a business or person who wants to start a business that's centered to creating mobile applications. They need to go to one development shop to have an iOS application developed. And then they need to go to a a completely separate Android shop or team within the same organization to have an Android application developed. And many times these teams have different standards with regards to quality assurance. They have different coding practices and, they, and typically, unless the, the company can afford to have a team and to bring on a team internally, it's very hard to, to ensure that the quality of, of service and, the, and the, the quality of the application that they're, they're having developed is on the same level. And of course, there's a budget and there are time considerations that exist for these early stage companies in many cases. Uh, to, to, kind of grapple with and determine, well, should I go iOS or Android? Well, part of the reason why I started Keystoke was to, to promote a, a newer way, kind of a more of a cutting edge approach to the mobile application development process, which allows for a business to come to a company like ours and have, and essentially say, Hey, I have this mobile application idea. I have a very good understanding of where I want to go with this. You know, can you help me? Well, instead of having them choose whether or not they need to go to initially release an iOS or Android app, our approach allows for that user to use one code base to deploy to both app stores. So that saves them time, money, and other assets and resources that they would typically expend at least twice going to both the Apple App Store and the iTunes App Store and the Google Play Store. We believe that you know it's the way of the of the future when with regards to developing mobile applications. And that's large in part because we believe that the old way is a broken model. And so that's kind of where we started Keystoke. Those are kind of the, the main reasons why we, we became passionate about be- delivering quality solutions to Early stage enterprise companies alike, and that's why we're kind of still here today. and And our product is a part again is again a part of that core those core values.
0: Now I know that we have some tech entrepreneurs and some design entrepreneurs that are listening. And as I looked at the Keystoke website, I saw that you kind of have already built a small team. You've got an office going. Talk to me about what that process was like. How did you find people, build the team, sort of get to where you are right now?
1: Right. So yeah, we, everyone on our team, you know, one of my advisors once told me and I believe that he probably heard it from one of his advisors early on that, you know, the first 10 employees that a founder or a co-founder brings on to their team, they should feel comfortable uh, under different circumstances having them be their boss. So you, you want to hire people that you would work for as well. They've got that. And, and if you really sit back and think about that, that implies that the person, that you, the people that you bring on, have to be of a certain caliber. You know, they have to be obviously very technical. They have to be very uh, confident. They have to be able to communicate well, uh, and they have to have advanced leadership skills, not just really basic. And of course, in many cases, they have to be the type of person that you'd be glad to have a beer with, it, right? Because there's there's ups and downs, and and I believe that they have to be. You have to have people like that on your team early on. And so when finding people to bring on a team, I think that before we interview people from a technical standpoint, we really focus on whether or not we initially focus on if they're going to be a personality fit because they can be, you know, Steve Wassian, but if we can't get along with them or if they can't get along with the rest of the team, then it's not going to, it's not going to last very long. And because we're sitting, in our case, we're sitting shoulder to shoulder. In less than a thousand square feet with desks side by side so to go back to your question my first employer I found on Twitter <laughs> I was um, he's actually living in North Carolina at the time and you know I was contracting work with him to help build out the content for our website to help with blogging and to help us in UI UX work early on remotely and we within a couple of of weeks of working together, we were beginning to organically have discussions about coming to Austin to work with me directly. So again, this is early 2014. By South by Southwest of 2014, he had purchased a ticket and touched down the morning of the the first morning of Interactive and helped with our launch party. He came directly to the bar that we were having our launch party and uh, stayed until 2 a.m. and that was the first time he and I had met face to face, and he's been a part of the team since that since that period in time and is again one of my hardest workers, one of my smartest workers, and just brings a very positive energy. Another team member I came, you know, worked with me at Booz Allen, has come on board and is, is leading operation, and she's been valued. And finally, the third person that I want to mention moved from San Diego. He was our first developer to bring on full-time. And Again, as I look back on when he came on board last August, early August, I can see a marked difference in the quality of, of development, the quality of code, and the, the type of ownership that he's brought to the to the applications that he's developed for clients and, and also internal initiatives. So you know, I hope that answered your question. I think I took a long way around around it, but that basically is a, the summation of how and why we chose some of the people that are part of our team today.
0: So one thing I want to kind of touch on that you, you kind of briefly mentioned was sort of the pattern matching part. Like you say, the people that you choose for your team, they have to be someone that that you can work with. Have you found any challenges with that? Like making sure that the person was both a good personality fit and was technically competent? Yeah.
1: I mean, it's, it, every day it's a, it's a, it, there's a learning process. There are a few people that didn't meet the, those criteria. They were, for example, we did hire one developer who was who was more on the greener side. Who was kind of a a entry level guy. He showed a lot of promising potential, and after a couple of months, there was he proved that he was able to quickly come up to speed. But he just wasn't a good personality fit. So because we work in, the, in such a competitive space, fast paced industry. There's not a lot of opportunity for, for people, like it may exist in larger organizations, to kind of fly under the radar. If there's a personality issue, if there's a technical issue, that person's exposed pretty quickly. And that's sort of what happened with this individual. And it was, it was a tough decision, but we had to basically make a decision to get it to move in, in a separate direction. And that's one example. You know, Since then, what one thing we've, we've put in place to mitigate something like that from happening is, I get the entire team involved process. So if I have a buddy who's working at a startup and I, and I firmly believe that they're a good fit, then I always tell them, I say, hey, I love you, man. And I, and I know that you're, you're going to do good, great work, but I want to make sure that everyone else on the team has a chance to, to talk with you during the interview process. So if it's someone in business development, they may pitch in front of the team and then have a small Q&A after that pitch. You know, they may pitch a product or pitch an idea to the team. If it's someone that's on the, that we may be adding to the development team, we we give them something to chew on, something to work on. We give them about 48 hours to work on that, on that project. So, and they'll store whatever project in in a GitHub repository. And then our development team will have an opportunity to review it. And of course they'll come in for uh, uh, some feedback and, and people who are not technical will also be a part of the discussion. Just kind of getting to know them just to make sure that above and beyond their technical ability. We also are checking for that personality match as well.
0: So let's talk about funding. I really want to touch on that because you sort of mentioned earlier this platform as a service uh, that you're doing. And I believe you mentioned sort of before we started, uh, you were talking about that you're kind of raising funding for. It. I know, again, that there are a lot of entrepreneurs that are listening. Funding seems to be that, that kind of, it can make or break, I think, any project, any business, Making sure that you've got the money or are able to raise the money that you need in order to carry out business tasks, hire personnel, things of that nature. What's the funding, I guess the rounds of funding, the funding situation, what's it been like for Keystoke? Are there any kind of tips that you can give for any founders out there that are interested? Absolutely. And I'll do my best to answer
1: that question. It's pretty broad, but if I miss anything or cross I everything, mean, feel free to you know, obviously ask follow up questions. But Um, In short, you know we are are very, very early, early on in the process. So I'm kind of I'm learning a lot as I go. Fortunately, I have some great advisors, uh, unofficial and official, as well as mentors who have been through this before. So a lot, some of what I'm saying is going to be regurgitated from them, and others are going to be uh, based on my personal experiences over the last basically two weeks because we really just started. Having discussions around funding after you know last last Tuesday officially. So in essence, you know, Keystone you know started as a as a bootstrapped effort on my part with obviously assistance on, on occasion from friends and family members. But in short, we have gone we closed out 2014 profitable and based solely on. Building out solutions for our clients and obviously doing great work in word of mouth, et cetera, et cetera. So we found that as we developed our product internally, because we're we're a small team, we have limited resources, but obviously we're blessed to have such an awesome team. We're having to split our developers, designers, et cetera, on client work and on product development. And we got to the point to where we realized that we couldn't do both at 100 percent without having an injection of funds like we could definitely we definitely still want to keep a staff the staff on hand to, to work on interesting product development for other companies but really kind of where we're the, the direction we're moving into is is a product development space and in order for us to scale like we need to to market like we need to to bring on talent like we need to We needed needed to obviously raise round. So, uh, at the advice of some some trusted entrepreneurs and investors uh, here in Austin and outside of Austin, we decided to raise what's known as a seed round fund. And and we did a lot of market research. We also, well, we started out with kind of doing an introspective look at what we were trying to, what we needed to accomplish, what we wanted to accomplish in developing this product, and. Kind of reverse engineering and backing into a an amount that we needed to close in order to accomplish this within a 12 to 15 month time frame from there you know we got to work It's part of what i'm spending my time doing these days I, and i'd say up to 80 percent of my time on a, day, on a daily basis is reaching out to investors beginning discussions, introducing myself. One investor uh, told me early on, I was like, sir, where did you come from? I'm hearing a whole lot about you. All of a sudden, I said, I've been here. I've been working on, I've been heads down working on client work. And one of the situations to where you're not gonna go to an investor, this is just a bit of advice that I'm, that I'm learning. You're not gonna go to a new investor, day one and say, cut me a check for half a million dollars. There's, there's, there's really a courting process that is a key opportunity for investors to understand who you are, you to do your own due diligence on those investors, and then really kind of dance before you enter into a more serious engagement. And so that's kind of where we are right now. We're in the very early stages of identifying potential strategic investors who have uh, exposure to the enterprise retail space specifically, and in addition to that, who obviously are accredited investors who are interested in what we're doing over here at Keystone. But a couple of things that we're doing, I'll just kind of shed a little more light on some things that we're doing. We've hired a an investor relations firm here in Austin who came highly recommend, recommended from another advisor to essentially send out, you know, bi weekly updates on our progress to interested stakeholders so they can see that and again it's a courting process that Hey, we met this milestone, we brought our first beta tester, we received our first verbal commitment from an investor to participate in this round of funding. We've integrated this new functionality in the application. And so, in essence, handling the relationship electronically and otherwise with interested parties. In addition to that, really reaching out to people who are experienced in this space has also been a value to us it's a very it's in-depth process and i'm happy to say that my understanding that it's going to take it can take up to 3 to 6 months to close around you know but it's an exciting process i think that in every aspect of starting a company has been a challenge and it's one that we are we welcome
0: what are some of the other things that you've kind of learned since you started with keystoke i mean like you say you're still kind of learning as you go but what are some things so far that you've learned that before starting Keystoke, you weren't really that sure about?
1: As a software developer, software engineer, early on when I started the company, I, I asked myself, I was like, hey, you know, uh, there are several other, you know, skilled developers out there who are happily kind of writing code on a daily basis and haven't decided to start their own consulting service or product company. In hindsight, I know exactly why that's I mean, I found that it's really—you've got—it's one of those things. You got to count the cost before you get involved. And most people who are developers and really good developers really like coding, really like problem solving. I sit squarely within that space. I believe that I've learned since I started a company that if you're a developer that loves developing, then and you—you're you know, not really interested in doing a whole lot of other development uh, work outside of software development you may not want to start your own company you may want to be a technical co-founder or cto of a company because there's so much more involved in running a company than just writing code and quickly unless you organize your time appropriately you may never have an opportunity 12 to 18 months in the company to write code Uh, Fortunately, i carve out time on a daily basis to contribute to the various initiatives that we have going on from a development standpoint, but I can see that if I did not make that conservative effort, I wouldn't be able to. I'd be focusing on raising money or business development or human resources. That right there is a full-time job in and of itself, or several full-time jobs. And so if you're really passionate about development, it's one of those things that you can carve out time to do on your own time. but. I think it's important to understand that when you sign up for something like this, there's more to it than meets the eye and you have to be interested in, in having some exposure to some of the other tasks that are required or bring on someone else that is and partner with someone who who's either an MBA or, or has some experience running a company and likes that sort of stuff. And so that's one of the things that, that's the first thing that came to mind when you asked that question.
0: So when it comes to, I guess, venture capital firms, what have you, that are interested in investing in things like this? Who are some of the, the major players that people need to know about? I mean, well,
1: you know, individuals I, I really can't speak on, but in our space, it'd be great to have the involvement of, of a few VCs, like the Bessemer Group or Google Ventures. So again, I think I, I touched on it whenever I was giving answering your previous question about investment. I think it's very important, at least for a company like ours, to bring on strategic money. You know, we're not really interested in just kind of making it a quick buck and then moving on to the next thing. You know, this is something that we're passionate about. We're passionate about bringing mobile solutions to the masses, you know, or the ability to develop solutions, cutting-edge solutions, not corny, responsive websites wrapped in an iframe, but actually mobile solutions that provide native functionality, like push notification and geofencing to people at scale. And so the first work we're going after is the e-commerce space, and I'm getting, I'm saying all this to say that the type of investment that we're looking for, specifically for us, are, are people who invested in companies like ours, like uh, a couple of investment firms specifically. Like The way that I, part of what I do when I'm looking for, when, I, when I'm online looking for investors I t- yeah, I start with my, my local LinkedIn network, and I, I'll speak with that. Or I'll send a few emails to advisors, and, and then many of them are happy to make introductions as well as provide invaluable advice. But Angel, sites like AngelList is invaluable. If you're not familiar with AngelList, then I would highly recommend that, that you familiarize yourself with it, especially if you've already started a product-based company, because that's where many accredited investors. Scout out their next investment from a strategic standpoint. Finding strategic investors for my company, AngelList is is also useful because I can go I can type in the name of a company that I may be interested in being acquired by um, in the future or uh, integrated with, and I can see who invested in in their rounds of funding. So, for example, if I if I'm looking for someone who's strong in the retail space, I can go to the I can type in the name of that retailer or that retail. A service provider or a product-based company and see who participate in that round and i can i can follow the investors and look for introductions on linkedin and then communicate about them because those are the type of investors that we want because they are interested in our success they could potentially have a vested interest in us being successful because, for obvious reasons because they they've already participated in rounds and Companies that can utilize our services as well. That's kind of a strategy that we that we've employed to reach out invest, to investors. But you know, there are also other sites like Product Hunt that are also online resources for product-based companies or aspiring entrepreneurs to to look at to kind of see what's what's trending and that sort of stuff. But yeah, that, those are a couple different approaches that we take.
0: What do you think developers out there need to know in order to? compete in this market? I know that there are a lot of people that are talking about wanting to build an app. I think a few years ago, there was this really big push about learning how to code and things of that nature. But we are talking like specifically like skill-wise. What are the types of things that people need to focus on if they want to get into doing mobile app development?
1: I mean, so there's the traditional approach, which is getting a couple books or signing up to do computer-based training. In specific stats of technology, like if you're going to develop an iPhone app, you know the traditional approach is to obviously look at um, an Objective C tutorial and then begin to to code on your own. I think GitHub is a pretty interesting resource because there are a lot of projects that allow you to see their project and, and then build on top of it and, and use their project or framework as a starting point. Something that I think something that I wish was around when I was a little bit earlier in the game was the boot camps, those 13 week boot camps that take you from essentially soup to nuts with regards to a specific stack of technologies. Now here in Austin, we have a few like general assembly or maker square and essentially you can come in into a program like that with as an English major or receiving a a degree in sociology. And after doing a a little bit of pre-work, you come out on the other end being a full stack mobile app developer, and a, you know a startup like ours may pay upwards of sixty thousand dollars for you to join that team and to contribute. But I mean, it's from from a selection of uh, stacks of technology. You have a native, the fully native approach, which you would use a Java on the Android end of things, or, or Objective C or Swift now on the iOS uh, mobile approach, or you could. We go the cross-platform approach, the hybrid mobile app approach that we take, which is you know using a stack of technologies that that uses you know JavaScript at its core. Our in our case, you know the mean stack, or some others. One of my best friends is raving about React JS. There are several different approaches that you can take from a cross-platform approach, and I just really think that yeah, it takes it. It really depends on what type of problem. That you want to solve. Like I'm I'm really fast to tell a, a prospective client that if they want us to develop us to develop Mortal Kombat or a game like it using a cross-platform approach, it's probably not a good fit. But for your general line of business applications, it's a great option because you're able to have that single code base and deploy to multiple app stores and maintain indefinitely one code base as opposed to employing two teams to do that for you.
0: You just mentioned something that I wanted to ask about, so I'm glad you brought it up, which was coding boot camps. There's a lot of these services out there. You mentioned General Assembly, but I've seen a fair number of them out of the Bay Area, out of San Francisco. And there's sort of like these, um, I don't know, like these boot camps, you know, that's what they're called. But you pay them like $5,000 or more. And then, you know, like you said, they go from soup to nuts in in eight to 13 weeks or something. Now you have the skills to get placed as a developer somewhere. Do you think that those kinds of programs are really like sustainable for this industry? And I'm speaking kind of to your background because you got a computer science degree from University of Texas in Tyler. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I was using Tyler.
0: Do you think that these kinds of boot camp things are are good for the industry? Do they really help out in terms of kind of – I know there's always this talk about a talent shortage, but do these types of things really help out? Yeah. Are they sustainable?
1: Yes. I guess the takeaway is, in short, I think that the answer is yes. The, these programs are intense, based on my exposure to them. Many things that you learn in school are, are more theoretical. And you can go on, on Reddit and there, there are age-old discussions. Some discussions that are as old as Reddit and even earlier, but specifically to Reddit regarding computer science program versus a, a boot camp or, a, or kind of a... A plural side or Lynda.com self-taught approach, and what you get at these boot camps is more of a hands-on, real-world experience. You know, I think that it depends on how seriously seriously you take that, and each person, given a set of tools, is capable of doing all sorts of different things with it, with that set of tools. So to answer your question, I think that based on our experience with people or interviewees and new hires that have come out of out of these these boot camps, these individuals are capable of. Whereas they may not have the the experience on their resume that they've actually contributed to whatever notable product, they are able to demonstrate. Typically, based on our experience, again, in a very short short period of time, they understand the, the software development lifecycle. You know, object orientation basic computer science, you know, constructs that that are important in developing products. So typically whenever a new developer, whether they came from a boot camp or whether they came from a university, goes to work at a new company, at a startup or an enterprise company, there's gonna be a degree of onboarding and teaching them about, you know, tools and languages that they probably haven't had any exposure to prior to coming to work in that company so one good thing that a 13-week boot camp does for an employer is show that that individual is a fast learner or should be a fast learner because they've graduated from that boot camp and they have typically have a product that they built out during their time at that boot camp and they've demonstrated their kind of their understanding of you know the technologies related to I'm sorry, the technology they use to develop the product. And so, all that many times in that 13 week period. So, coming onto a team, a technical director, a development manager can, with pretty good confidence, after going through a rigorous interview process, know that that person can pick things up pretty quickly. And that's something that may or may not happen with a computer science major. It may take a little bit longer. It may not. You know, I really think it. it's something that. You know, in my opinion, something that that will probably be around for some time to come because, like you mentioned, there is projected to be a a shortage of software developers and people and technical individuals uh, in cities across the nation for some time to come.
0: Let's switch gears a little bit here. Kind of want to move away from Keystoke a bit, but want to talk more about you personally. Kind of this sort of the last question as we sort of go into kind of transitioning into that. So before we kind of switch gears here a little bit, what's the biggest misconception that you think people have about developing for the mobile space?
1: I think that from a, from a consumer standpoint, we'll sit down with, with clients on occasion, and they think, oh, it should be this easy. And many times, it's not nearly as easy as a client would like it to be. There are obviously several layers to the development process. I think that you learned early on that, from a development end, that it's dangerous to just jump straight into code. Many clients will say, "You know, can we skip the discovery phase? Skip, skip the requirements gathering phase, and go directly into the development of the application?" So, setting expectations and bringing clients up to speed in in many cases is, is a challenge to developing solutions, and so. You know, being able to communicate effectively, what is involved in developing solutions, especially for someone who's never developed a product before, They're, they may be a subject matter expert in a particular industry, whether it be retail or or, um, or apparel or oil and gas, but they have no idea how to engineer a, an application. Those kinds time, many times, those first-time prospective product developers or product owners, rather have no exposure to that process. And so it's it, letting them you know it's not gonna, it can't be done in TV. weeks at $5,000 it is it's always fun.
0: Where does your ambition come from? I mean, it's it's very clear that you have a passion for this, for what you're doing. Where does that ambition and that motivation come from?
1: I'd like to give credit to my parents because I, I do believe that they set the bar really high for us as children to see kind of where my parents came from, from my, you know, my dad's a first generation or I'm a first generation American on my dad's side is from Trinidad and Tobago. And kind of to see where, you know, I visited Trinidad and Tobago for the first time two and a half years ago. And to go down there and see kind of where our family came from on my dad's side and see how far, you know, through hard work, education, Endurance and the grace of God, like how far a a person can bring their family in one generation, was awe inspiring. And so it's hard for me to be a part of a family like mine where my mom is amazing, which is an understatement. And, you know, she has gone through so much and has broken through so many glass ceilings. My dad, the same thing. And then having siblings who are just rock stars in their, in each of their respective professions is, it's, you know, internally I'd be lying if I didn't say, hey, look, I see you doing your thing over there, sibling, let me go ahead and do my thing as well. So it's it's, it's fun, you know, how kind of if you're working with people who are on it, you know, about their business, it's a lot easier for you to kind of keep your head down on the end goal. So it's exactly where I came from, I'll say God, my family, the people that I work around. One of the kind of, uh, quick story I want to tell you. Whenever I left working for the man to start Keystone, like for the first time, you know, uh-huh. uh, early on, I left my company on a Friday, and by Monday, I signed up to work at a co working location in South Austin. And the main reason why I did that was because I wanted to provide an environment where there were people of light mind who understood. The need to kind of break away and focus on getting things done instead of sitting, you know, on the sofa in their pajamas and doing work. That's like, that's what I needed. And I also, so I would go in the office essentially from nine nine a.m. to six
0: or seven p.m. I had a dedicated desk,
1: and I remember thinking, or you know, in those early days, like I'm not working for myself. I'm working for someone else. That was the mentality that I went to the office with, which was that. I'm not doing this for my own good, I'm actually, I, my, the mentality is I was still working for the, you know, the same company I was working for previously and it wasn't, obviously I wasn't working for being you know, was self employed but I wanted to get myself in that, I wanted to have that mindset and, um, and I think that helped early on to, to keep me focused on, on kind of what the, the goals and dreams that I had and that I'm continuing to accomplish today.
0: What other tech entrepreneurs out there do you admire?
1: As far as names are concerned, yeah, yeah. So there are a couple people that I I try to bug and get on the calendar to have brunch with who are local. You know, there's one guy who I secretly admire and I I like really appreciate his feedback. Named Jason C. He's he's one of the venture partners at the local TechStars incubator and VC, whatever you call it here in Austin. He's awesome. And then I also look at at others uh, in this space. I like to listen to, to various podcasts, but more than anything, I like I also look at you know people who look like me and who, who have done awesome things in this space. So without putting each person on blast, but I will forget you know those people, you know anyone that, that's kind of taken their vision from kind of conception to reality are people that I admire that I look up to. Like and even if it's outside the outside of the, the tech space, like I recently heard an interview of Dr. Dre, who's kind of promoting the uh, his new movie that's that's coming out. I think it's Boys in the Hood and he was on he was he I think he interviews like once every five years or, or, or less than that. And he was just talking about how they got started. And it seemed as though the, the passion that he had early on is is a similar passion that I have. And not to compare myself to the great Dr. Dre, but I feel as though you know you gotta have that in order to stand out in this competitive space we're in. It can't just be about the money. And so that's kind of what motivates me. You know, I'm gonna miss on, I miss out on a couple of key people if I try and name each and every person. But there's a long list. But that's as far as from a characteristic standpoint, that passion, people who are passionate, and you know, people specifically who we here who have tried a couple times, failed, and then tried again and been successful, that's kind of what I'm excited to... Those are the people I'm excited to watch and those are the people I I follow on Angel's List or LinkedIn or Twitter and really keep an eye on on what they're up to because they're, they're motivational to me.
0: What advice has kind of stuck with you throughout your journey? This can be advice you've gotten from a mentor, advice from a parent or something. What advice has really kind of help sustain you through all this it's really to
1: keep god first i mean i am a christian i do believe you know that things that that we involve ourselves in the successes that we have are are ordained god's a player and he, he cares about the sparrow he cares about about you and i i think that whenever i think about the ups and the downs that i've gone through and Obviously, some of the success that I have, it's, it's It's easy to think, oh, man, we did a great job. Our team is so awesome. But really, that, that personal relationship and to, you know, always give credit where it's due is, is important. It's something that my mom taught me at a young age and it stuck with me. Above beyond that, apart from not necessarily advice, but people who are inspirations to me are, again, my siblings. They're people who I can call on many times, advice that I get from some of my Siblings who are professionals, you know, I pay big money, whether I'm sick or whether I need legal advice or what have you. So it's awesome to have people like that in your corner and to have people like that at a phone call away or a plane ticket away. And then finally, the people who are fighters. One of the girls in our in our office is really sick and, and she comes in every day and works just as hard or harder on a daily basis. And so seeing people like that motivate me and Obviously, you know, whenever I, you know, things that don't necessarily come to mind in in an interview are there subconsciously. Advice I got from mentors who are startup founders, who've been where I'm at multiple times, are are things that I just happen to pull up on random access memory. Things that my my parents told me at a young age also, you know, always come back to me whenever I need it. So, obviously, a support system that goes beyond friends and family and extend to, to advisors and other people that we, uh, that we encounter on a daily basis that, that mean the most.
0: So what's in the future for you? Do you have any like plans for the summer? Where do you see Keysto kind of going in the next few years? What's on the horizon for you?
1: Right. So last year we were 100% services for the year of 2014 Keysto focused 100% of our effort on developing awesome products for other companies. Right now, we're developing the product internally, so I'd say that we're splitting my developer's time, people on our team's time between our product and obviously client work, and so we'd like to, so currently I'd say that the pie is split up now from 100% in, in developing other people's products to about 20% on our internal product and 80% on other people's products. You know, By this time next year, um, I'd like our company to still have that Product or that uh, services component but I'd like us to focus on you know the majority of our time developing you know, develop, you know, maturing our product that, that we uh, that we're growing and so I'd like that to be you know more of an 80-20 split where the product that we're developing internally represents the 80%. So from a utilization standpoint that's kind of where I see us, us uh, going. But more specifically, you know, we're looking to close uh, this round of funding, the seed round of funding that should help us grow grow out our business development team, assist us with some marketing, as well as uh, build out our technical team. So I think that really it's hard to see what we'll be this time next year. I know that we have some pretty interesting stuff that we're working on. And I think that the that the vertical that we're going after, which is the e commerce e-commerce, retail space i think it has the the potential to kind of shake things up a bit so i'd like to you know i look forward to talking to you again at at some point down the road and giving you an update on where we are because you know right now i feel like there's no telling.
0: sure man i'd love that well just to kind of bring this all to a close where can people find out more about you and about keystoke online
1: right so if you're a keystoke fanboy hung in cheap moment you can follow us on Twitter at it's simply Keystoke. We're on Facebook at Keystoke as well. We're on Instagram as Team Keystoke. And we've got puppy cams that uh, people in the office, we have two dogs in the office, and, and people in the office are continuously posting photographs of our our two old English Bulldogs. And then if you're an investor and you want to learn more about what we're doing, then check us out on List. And that URL is simply angel.co slash Keystoke. And um, you can participate in this round. We'd appreciate that. Obviously, I'm on LinkedIn. It's just it's simply Sterling S. Smith. So those are probably the best ways to reach us.
0: All right, man. Sounds good. Sterling Smith, again, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. You know, I know you're building Keystoke. You're refining the product, making it better. So I appreciate the time that you have taken out to not only talk about Keystoke, but talk about kind of the funding process, how this all goes. I know that we have entrepreneurs that are listening that really want to know how can I get the funding and things that I need to really build the products and the services that I want. So again, thank you so much. I really do appreciate it.
1: Yeah, I'm Maurice. thanks. I'm humbled for the invitation and I I hope that some of the information that I provided is helpful.
0: And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Sterling Smith and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Sterling and his company, Keystoke, through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Thanks, as always, to our wonderful sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. When it comes out to email marketing, MailChimp makes it extremely simple. They've got great reporting features, great autoresponder features, and you can send 12,000 emails to 2,000 subscribers for free. No contracts and no credit card required. Check them out at MailChimp.com. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names, and they give you exactly what you need to get the job done. Get yourself a new domain. You can choose from any of the dozens of top-level domains they have, or transfer your current domains to Hover, and save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code GRADUATION at checkout. Lastly, there's Creative Market, a marketplace that sells beautiful ready-to-use design content from thousands of independent creators from around the globe. Head over to creativemarket.com, pick up those six free goods that are available for free every Monday. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio. Actually, RJ's birthday was just on April 30th, so happy birthday, RJ. Uh, It's produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro is by Music Man Dre with intro audio by Yellow Speaker. The outro audio, This Is My Tape For You, is courtesy of Jimmy Square. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave a rating and a review. It helps us get new listeners. It helps more people find out about the show. I'll even read your review right here on the show, just like I did with BMar's review at the top of the show. Thanks again so much, BMar, for that heartfelt review. I love hearing from all of you, from just hearing what you know and love about the show. Uh, It really means a lot. It really, truly does. Revision Path is a 318 media project. If you like the work we're doing with the podcast and the website, then visit revisionpath.com forward slash donate and let us know. Leave a tip in our tip jar, sponsor an upcoming episode, or join at the $5 fist bump level to show your ongoing support. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.